Hello and welcome to the Logistics Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsty Adams, editor of SHD Logistics Magazine. This is the first of a new series of monthly podcasts from the SHD team. It's made sense for a while now to launch a podcast alongside the magazine. We got the go-ahead from the boss about six weeks ago and here we are. Our producer Mark described working on it as a whirlwind, which I think is fair. Thank you, Mark, for taking hold of the sales. We're looking forward to turning our readers into listeners and our listeners into readers. Everyone has to do both. I'd like to thank all the people who I've put on the spot in the last six weeks. I didn't give you any tips or advice about being part of a podcast. Um, I didn't have any, sorry, but I will for the next one. Anyway, thank you for joining us for podcast number one. So what do we have in store for you for this edition? We'll be talking about peak periods and Black Friday with the following experts. It certainly changed the shape of Christmas beyond belief and I don't believe it's something that's going to go away. That is John Manerly, Head of Operations, Magna Park for John Lewis. Last year, Metapack saw that grow by 26% over the previous year, just in that single weekend. That's Duncan Lysons, Vice President, Global Solutions and New Products at Metapack Group by having their warehouse size not completely for peak, but for a much higher levels than their normal average, they can still manage to retain customer service level through peak. That was Lynn Parnell from Logistics Partners, and our final guest is UKWA CEO Peter Ward. There are two things about automation. It has to be portable and it has to be affordable. We'll also be talking about 2.1 million square feet of underground warehouse space at Heathrow with Kevin Mofit from Savills. Assistant Editor David Tran to bring you our top news stories. David, what's been happening in UK logistics? In the news, logistics board game Business on the Move has announced the launch of a global edition expanding its gaming range. Business on the Move welcomed SHD to their London launch of this learning platform for schools and higher education. Supporters include John Lewis, Conan Argyle, Deeper World and the CILT. Initiatives like this will encourage young people to seriously consider a career in logistics. Here is Claire Petrowski, future talent manager at Kunen telling us about her experience at careers fairs and how they're promoting the game. The first question I get asked is, who are you? What's logistics? Do you just deliver to the door like the post office does? And it's so frustrating for somebody that works within this industry to hear that because we're a hidden industry and we can't afford to be. The world that it is today, the skill shortages that we face, it's all about are going to put us in a really tricky position if we don't actively do something about it. And this for me is an outstanding start to getting us out into schools, into education, educating people as to what international supply chain is about, giving them the skills that are involved in and showing them the multitude of careers that are available because there is a huge amount available and it isn't just what you see on the surface. 
and we need to make the effort as an industry to join together, to collaborate and to make sure that message is getting out there. We also asked some children at Boucher Primary School in Bermondsey at the event as to why they like playing the game. My name's Sarah and I liked how we got to deliver the stuff and I learned that that you should always like think about what, what you're going to buy before you do it. My name's Kira and I like how it's really competitive and I like how it's math related and I like how that I found out like how our clothes that we're wearing right now, like how what country they're coming from and how they're coming to the UK. We'll be doing a full feature on this in the next podcast where we'll be hearing from teachers, how the CILT is using it, and more from Claire at Kunanagel. Meanwhile, in other news, Amazon has announced it has signed up a 1.5 million square foot space to build a fulfillment centre in Darlington. Located 20 miles from Teesport, the facility will be developed following agreement with landowners Durham Cathedral. The move will also expand Amazon's fulfillment centre coverage. Amazon currently has 16 fulfillment centres in the UK and earlier this year announced it will open another unit in Rugby. XPO Logistics has increased their warehouse footprint after agreeing with Nestle to co-create a 638,000 square foot distribution centre at a new Seagrove Logistics Park in Leicestershire. The build, set for completion in 2020, will be predominantly occupied by Nestle for its consumer packaged goods and will function as a testbed environment for XPO technology prototypes. Deemed as a warehouse of the future, the facility will see advanced sorting systems and robotics alongside state-of-the-art automation co-developed with SwissLog. In a challenging retail climate, House of Fraser has decided to close 31 stores in order to streamline its business. This follows similar store closing decisions from other retailers such as Marks & Spencer, which poses the question whether retail store workers will eventually move into warehousing operations as a consequence of the retailers' movement towards online. That's the news. Over to you, Kirsty. Support for this podcast has come from IMHX 2019. So next up is Rob Fisher, the event director, who's going to tell us more about the UK's largest intralogistics event. Kirsty, we're 15 months out from the next show. It takes place at the NEC Birmingham, 24th through to the 27th of September. Rob, who attends? IMHX attracts decision makers from logistics and supply chain operations. That could be anyone from a retail to an online retailer, FMCG, manufacturing, construction. It's a wide audience that we attract. What's hot on the agenda for IMHX 2019? I think we'll see a lot more around robotics, automation and AI. They are definitely the areas that are creating the most interest within the logistics community at the moment. Rob, how's the floor plan looking? We have 226 exhibitors contracted at the moment. We've only got 20% of the available space on the floor plan currently available. So we're in a really good position and very much looking forward to September next year. How big actually is the event? IMHX is massive. The size of a decent DC, which is 400,000 square feet. We have the option to go into a fifth hall at the NEC and we have a massive outside area as well at our disposal. Rob, were you wearing a Fitbit in 2016? I certainly did for the, uh, the four days of build and I think on one day I tracked 22,000 steps which is quite remarkable for someone of my fitness levels. 
Thank you, Rob. Listeners, make sure you save the date. It's the 24th to the 27th of September, 2019. And it's at the NEC in Birmingham. On the 30th of November, 2018, Black Friday returns to wreak havoc across retail logistics operations. Black Friday is a shopping event where retailers slash prices and consumers grab goods, often Christmas presents, at bargain prices. It's created a challenging peak period, which is putting pressure on the back end. It arrived from the States in 2014, and it looks like it's here to stay. But let me take you back to a time before Black Friday. Here's John Manley, Head of Operations at John Lewis, who remembers it well. It used to start around about kind of August when you got back from summer holidays to start peak planning, etc. Dusted down last year's and had to think about how many people might be needed, a few more trucks on the road, etc. And now we're seeing something very different. So it certainly changed the shape of Christmas beyond belief. And I don't believe it's something that's going to go away. Black Friday isn't going anywhere and it's set to grow. Next, Duncan Licence... Vice President, Global Solutions and New Products at Metapep Group, also reflects on the old days, as well as sharing some intimidating growth figures. I remember the week or two before Christmas was this kind of insane peak. You know, we talk about ratios of four or five to one in terms of the volume of orders and parcels flowing through the network. And that's changed. The introduction of Black Friday or Cyber Weekend has changed not just Christmas, but the whole of the Christmas peak trading period. It's challenged the scalability and performance requirements of retailers, networks, parcel carriers, networks, supply chain networks. I think that trend will continue. So I think we'll continue to see Black Friday and Cyber Weekend grow year on year. Last year, Metapack saw that grow by 26% over the previous year, just in that single weekend. And that number was far higher than the average across peak, which I think was somewhere in the region of about 22%. So we're seeing Black Friday, even in the UK market, continue to grow faster than the overall peak trading period. And in Europe, that's even more pronounced, where Black Friday is a relatively new phenomenon. And in markets like Germany and Spain, year on year, the cyber weekend kind of volumes will grow significantly faster than we've seen in the UK over the last few years. This is the sound of Black Friday 2014. You can hear people queuing noisily outside Astor and Wembley. It's the starting line of a race to win a half-price TV and elbows are high. Once staff open the doors, customers violently rush towards the discounted goods. There were scenes like this across retailers. That clip was from The Telegraph. So what kind of customer or customer behaviour is being created? John Manley answers my questions on whether retailers can influence customers who have been conditioned to wait until Black Friday to do their Christmas shopping. Again, I'll, I'll relate back to the Andy Street interview. Andy Street used to be MD of John Lewis until 2016. The genie is now out of the bottle. How the hell we ever get the genie back in the bottle, I don't know. I think... It's now recognised as a, uh, you know, as a, as a, an annual traditional shopping event. I don't believe personally that we will ever be able to suggest that Black Friday never happened. I think it will mm-hmm. always be there. And as I mentioned before, there's many initiatives to just try and smooth that volume. We, we know that the kind of behemoth Amazon has a, a very interesting 
sales pattern through that period, it starts to promote many offers weeks in advance of the actual Black Friday period itself. Um, but our experience again in, in John Lewis, we have this model which has uh, been our kind of DNA for many, many years now, which is never known the undersold. So mm-hmm. whereas we don't traditionally lead on discounted stock, we very much follow the pattern of other retailers. So our competitors start to discount on products that we merchandise ourselves, then our promise is that uh, we will equally match the prices of them goods. We're very much in the lap of the gods. We're very much at the beck and call of how other retailers actually trade. But even again, you know, even with all of the best intentions that other retailers have tried to spread that volume out, the experience we've seen in kind of 2016, 17, and uh, we're guessing it's going to be the same this year, mm. is once again, customers again being conditioned to the real sales, the real bargains are going to happen on that one day of the year. If we can ever wean the customer off that, uh, I think it would be absolutely great for the industry, great mm. for logistics, and certainly help with the profitability side of things. The buying experience of the customer is changing. Here's Duncan again, telling us about the mega trends he's seeing, which are adding other challenges and opportunities into the mix. You know, we talk about the reinvention of the store and the way stores are being used and how pure players are starting to use store estate into the store estate to get access to those sorts of things. The use of discovery and curation as a means of driving the experiential buy. I also think we're seeing a lot of business model innovation in the e-commerce space or in the retail market. There's things like try before you buy, which we know consumers love, but come with a whole set of challenges for retailers and logistics people. There's the subscription model, where increasingly people are happy to pay subscriptions or loyalty schemes, which often include delivery and are very geared towards the e-commerce customer. And then the direct-to-consumer trend is something I think is, is massive. You know, we're seeing the luxury brands increasingly mm. sell directly to consumers. We're seeing electronics manufacturers and manufacturers of all sorts increasingly tackle the consumer market directly, whereas before they weren't, and they were happy to work through retail. I think there's a whole host of things that will come off this shift of retail to e-commerce. It creates a whole range of challenges for retailers, for logisticians, and particularly for, for parcel carriers who ultimately deliver these things in the last mile, typically. So that brand-to-consumer trend, what could this mean for the warehouses, the carriers, logistics operators? The thing that it means most is that there will be a significant increase in complexity of the way the B2C supply chain works. What I mean by that is my favorite example is, is out of Germany, where you can go on to the Zalando website, big e-com retailer in Europe, and you can order an Adidas product, which is then shipped directly from an Adidas warehouse to the consumer. Mm-hmm. It never touches a Zalando warehouse. But alternatively, the same consumer could go to the Adidas website and buy the same Adidas product directly. And so what you have there is this kind of this network of how parcels and goods flow from warehouses to consumers and how that's changing and the complexity that comes along with that. And managing that complexity is tough mm. for retailers, fulfillment centers, 3PLs and others. There's only so many vans. There's only so many people. The flow may be more complex, as Duncan describes, but it'll get even more complex if we run out of the stuff handling the stuff. Lynn Parnell makes some good points around resource and automation. Lynn is from Consultancy Logistics Partners, and she's one of our Logistics Award judges. The peak is getting more of a spike and less of a mound, and there's quite clear evidence of that trend. 
Therefore, there is more competition for resource over that peak period, which means that retailers and delivery companies are having to plan their peak much further in advance now. Automation does help because if you can make your warehouse more efficient, then you can increase productivity through peak. But it only really helps if you size your automation for your peak period and not your average period. And so many companies, when you're trying to get investment from the board, it's easier to size for the average flow through your warehouse. And of course, then at peak, you are trying to deal with more demand with less automation and less efficiency. So companies like John Lewis have proved now that by having their warehouse size not completely for peak, but for much higher levels than their normal average, they can still manage to retain customer service level through peak. Automation is being seen by some as a bit of a saviour in all of this. I ask UKWA Chief Executive Peter Ward what he thinks. Yes, automation is, is coming. There are two things about automation. It has to be portable and it has to be affordable. And you've got to look at these somewhat repetitive processes on a kind of bite-sized chunk basis, Mm. taking uh, things in little pieces rather than looking at the Ocado uh, warehouse that we saw at the SHD conference and thinking that's the panacea to you know a completely automated facility but it's only part of the answer I think it's uh, it's going to enable some of those repetitive processes to be more interesting but it's not going to cure the problem. People are leaving the country. Peter Ward calls it Brexitus. The big challenge at the moment is labour and skills to handle that and of course no one can ramp up and carry that kind of uh, labour force 12 months of the year just to be handling that over a three or four week period. So the industries become increasingly more reliant on transient temporary labour, agency labour. And this is still very much a manual business so it's still labour at the kind of what you would call unskilled level and we've relied quite heavily on Eastern European labour for that. So with Brexit at the moment and the Brexitus, with a lot of that labour going home, it's just really exacerbated what's already been a big challenge for the industry, which is actually finding the labour to pick these um, millions of small single-pick orders in a very short time frame. John Manley agrees that automation is just one part of the answer in reducing pressure on retailers during peak. Well, this kind of Black Friday thing, our, our busiest day is different, our lowest volume day by a factor of nine or ten. And that kind of profile is incredibly difficult to navigate through. And if you think of some of the obvious components, just the sheer capacity, capability you need to actually execute volumes of that significance. So whether that's warehousing space, warehousing capability, obviously we live in a quite technologically advanced world in John Lewis with the Magna Park campus in terms of automation. But again, you need all of that capability as well. Not to mention the reliance that we still have on contingent labour. So I've said many a time that investing in kind of large-scale, quite expensive capital outlay with automation is not something you want to do just for those four or six weeks when you're busy at peak. It's Mm. investment in automations for life, not just for Christmas. We are still very dependent on labour, and in the advent of uh, the likes of Brexit, etc., and the reduction we're seeing in kind of migrant workers coming to the UK during that period, that is a massive pressure on us, yeah. So what's the plan? Lynn says... It's planned as early as possible and actually to size your operation 
to as near peak as you can financially justify. So that means that using automation, using technology, so that at the time when you've got the most orders and most pressure on your operation, you're working efficiently as possible with people and resources that are trained for your product. Black Friday is a really steep learning curve every year. And it's in those 24 hours that John Lewis learns the do's and the don'ts for the following year. You tend to find most of your learnings through that peak period, the capability of equipment you've installed, the capability of the carrier network, the shopping behaviour and patterns of customers, and the advent of all that kind of big data, all that knowledge that you've gathered during that period. It's kind of invaluable to start thinking about, you know, how can we actually now navigate through the next one, a certain growth factor, and what have you learned from the last one? So it's very much an annual event now, Kirsten. Black Friday is not the only peak that can be challenging. Bank holidays mean more burgers, and the World Cup means more beer. But there's some new ones that should be on the radar, as Duncan confirms. I think single day is a phenomenon that we're starting to see in Europe. It's very early days, and, and it's difficult to say whether, whether it will continue. But there are a number of others that I think are worth mentioning. Retailers are trying to control the, the demand that the Cyber Weekend and Black Friday brings by introducing some of their own discounting events. So we've got Amazon who, who recently introduced Prime Day, and they tell us that Prime Day for them is bigger than Cyber Weekend. And that's them trying to control the narrative to move the volume to a slightly different time period for their networks, their warehouses, their carriers. We've also seen customers, as a matter of fact, like ASOS, introduce very large discounting events on Halloween, which is earlier than Cyber Weekend, and again helps balance the load. As an industry, we're very focused on the Christmas trading peak. But as a matter of fact, we think about peak as something that happens a number of times through the year. We see Valentine's Day being huge for people who do gifts or floral sorts of deliveries. We're seeing bank holiday weekends be significant upticks for retailers who sell home improvement or DIY merchandise. And also, we're seeing lots of fashion-driven events as well throughout the year, whether that change in range or summer clearance or whatever the case may be. The idea that we have this massive peak at Christmas will stay. It's not going to go anywhere. I think retailers are trying to control the narrative. But I also think it's phenomenal that will spread into the year. And there will just be these multiple spikes of activity throughout the year as retailers try to find ways to compete more effectively. I asked John if he's heard of Singles Day. I have, yeah, and unfortunately it happens on the 11th of November, two weeks before Black Friday. I wish somebody would think of something on Pancake Tuesday or something <laughs> in the summer just to spread it Start out. Start selling pancakes. <laughs> yeah. Is half-price TVs for all really worth it? There's no training course for Black Friday. It's trial and error. With figures like 26% growth on last year for Metapack Group, we know that it's coming for us, for the next few years at least. As our guest said... Plan early. I'm going to do my bit by avoiding Black Friday altogether and playing full whack in the last few days before Christmas. If you would like to share your challenges with us, please email kirsty.adams at informer.com. Our next guest is Kevin Moffitt. Kevin is Director of Commercial Research at Savills. He's here to tell us about some recent projects, including underground warehousing at Heathrow. The one very innovative project that Savills are involved in is a scheme near Heathrow, 
which is Greenbelt land, which has recently won planning approval to build 2.1 million square feet of warehouse space underground. This was a site that is classified as Greenbelt. However, within it, it has a lot of aggregate, which are useful building construction items. And to extract this, this gravel, you need to effectively put a cap on top of it, which then leaves you with a cavernous space underneath. And our client is actually being very forward-thinking and is is going to develop this space as, as, as warehouse space very close to Heathrow, which we think serves a fantastic purpose. And already we're beginning to see demand from retailers, from parcel companies, from companies servicing Heathrow as to you know, how they can potentially begin to, to occupy that space. We're also seeing the initial steps of, of companies beginning to offer more intense solutions and by that I mean multi-storey warehousing that we we typically see in the Far East. Gaisley, which is a, a warehouse development company, they've been in the press recently and have, have brought forward plans to develop the first three-storey warehouse in, uh, in, in London. This is on a site in Silvertown, not too far from Canary Wharf, and this is ultra-urban logistics. There will be a planning application going in towards the end of the year. And again, we envisage a big demand for this space because it's so close to the city, because it's so close to Canary Wharf, potentially because it's very close to, to City Airport. And again, we, we think this, this will serve a, um, uh, a purpose and a need for, a, for, for, for occupiers of, of warehouse space. Outside of London, I think the focus has been more on developing buildings that are, are fit for purpose. So we're involved in, in, in Durft, which is a big rail-connected scheme in the Midlands, in the Golden Triangle. That's very um, uh, you almost prime logistics, as, as, as we would all, would, would all know it. But the developer there, Prologis, has been has been at the forefront of, of rail connectivity, of building design, of sustainability, wellness, battery storage, even to mitigate some of the energy issues that that, that we talked about. And another good scheme is 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 that we we've been involved in Gaisley Magna Park Milton Keynes. They've developed a um, a building, twenty one meters in height, cross docked. A huge amount of doors to facilitate the fast throughput of, of product. Again, this is all aimed at servicing the needs of a, a wide tenant base. Companies who would be in e-fulfillment, online retail, the 3PL companies, or major retailers as well. So different solutions for different areas of the country, but a lot of innovation that is at the forefront of what, what they're doing. Can you give us some examples of those types of projects that have happened or are happening at the moment where there's retail space, warehouse space, student accommodation for example? Probably the most relevant case study is a scheme that was developed by Travis Perkins near King's Cross St Pancras and this was a joint venture with Unite, the student um, accommodation provider and Travis Perkins redeveloped the, the site, which was effectively a, a trade counter for, for construction products. They redeveloped that site and they've put a fully functioning uh, builder's merchant, builder's yard on the ground floor. And they have student accommodation above it, you know, numerous, numerous stories of student accommodation. This is up, this is built, it's running very successfully. So there, again, other, other good examples 
As part of the work, we're also looking abroad. And actually, you know, there's some very good examples in highly constrained urban areas like, like Bilbao, also Munich, where you're seeing the delivery of industrial warehouse space on the ground floor with residential above. Some of this is done using goods lifts, some of it's done using ramps. But again, the operators of these buildings are international companies. They can draw on that experience of using real estate. Is there a desire for companies to design different buildings that incorporate the wellness of their operators in these quite repetitive roles? Definitely. If you think about a fully automated warehouse, lots of robotics, lots of automation, you begin to employ engineers, data scientists, people who typically are used to an office environment, but also actually people being very keen to retain their staff and offer them an environment that is suitable to what they're doing. So we're beginning to see people look at developing canteens, gyms, in some cases even a creche, to support their staff. I was on a tour of a warehouse building recently that had a roof terrace, which I'd never seen before, again, offering a a different environment to the people who worked in that building. Now, all of this brings a number of issues around design, um, around how you can actually put a rent on that space, because let's remember that the landlords of these buildings really want to maximise the the rental income from these buildings. So again, it becomes a project in managing the, I guess, the aspirations of all all of the people involved. But definitely, definitely, I can say that the our clients, particularly in the landlord and development community, are very keen to work with warehouse operators to deliver these facilities in the best way. Kevin, how can my readers contact you? You can reach out to me on, on my email address, which is kmoffid, M-O-F-I-D, at savills.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, and you can contact me via the Savills website and blog. Kevin's colleague, Will Cooper, is featured in our August issue of SHD Logistics magazine. Will discusses where the power will come from for fully automated warehouses in the future and poses the question, will we run out? for downloading and listening to our podcast i'd like to thank our podcast guests john lynn duncan peter kevin and claire a special thanks to the children from boucher primary school thank you for not running away when i came to ask you questions next month's features include the death of the high street and we also revisit the business on the move future skills story please can you share this podcast and send us your comments thank you thank you